Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Fanboy Comics Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Clay, and I cannot speak today. Host. Host. I am your host today. You know, normally I do these really late at night, but I've gained... See, I... See, I can't talk at night, and I can't talk in the morning. That is the worst problem to have at all times, I guess. But normally, I do these really late at night because that is the only time I can have some time to myself. But recently, I have been waking up super early, uh, you know, getting my day ready and sitting down so that way I have the morning to do this and I have the rest of the day to do whatever. But of course, I work today, so not really. Anyhow... Of course, this is the Fanboy Comics Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel Unlimited app, the DC Universe app, and of course, the Shonen Jump app, which is going to be today's episode. Today is the Shonen Jump Saturday show, and we have some really cool stories to talk about. Of course, we have the new chapter of the uh, Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Uh, We have our new book of uh, My Hero Academia Vigilante. And we have some really cool stories going on in My Hero Academia and Roroni Kenshin. We're finally getting done, almost done, with that small little arc regarding uh, um, Megumi. So, let's go ahead and jump right into this uh, with the Time Paradox Ghost Rider, because it is hilarious. Alright, so we left off at the end of Chapter 3 with... Our main character, Sasaki, bumping into uh, Itsuki Ino, who was the original writer of uh, White Knight. So, that was a complete twist I was not expecting. It was really funny. You know, even after Sasuke even told her the truth, she didn't quite believe it. You know, she, she even said, do you find me to be a fool? And so it kind of got swept under the rug about this whole, you know, time machine microwave manga maker, basically. And so she chopped it up to the two of them having, you know, just a norm, like, she chopped it up to basically they have the exact same thought as far as a story. And I keep telling people whenever I explain the story to them, because I even showed it to a friend of mine, and she read all four chapters yesterday, and she was still very confused about the character of Itsuki. And I told her there's there's this genuine idea or just this genuine thought in real time, in, in real life, that every original thought has basically like it's just it's gone. The original thought is gone. And so everything is just an adaptation of somebody else's thoughts, you know, and so the idea of originality is really hard nowadays. And so she came back at me with, but Itsuki thinks that Sas- uh, Sasaki thought of the exact same story, the exact same plot, the exact same characters with the exact same art. And she's right. It's, it is very far-fetched. And to me, that almost makes uh, Itsuki very ditzy and almost dumb uh and i'm not entirely sure how i feel about that especially when she's a creator and as a creator myself if i i wouldn't want to be so blind to the idea 
that somebody is stealing my ideas uh, when I read it off the page of somebody else's notebook or, you know, if somebody else publishes something and it's clearly something that I had thought about. So it's it's hard to consider her like being that dumb and hopefully she's not. But we open up with uh, with Sas- uh, Sas- Sasaki kind of getting over that whole encounter and saying, you know, he, because of how into this he is now uh, with Shonen Jump and with the publication of White Knight, uh, he says that he's the only one that could write it. So he goes to Shonen Jump and he is meeting his editorial team. We meet uh, Genki, Jiro, and uh, Igarashi. I'm gonna see. Every, I'm calling everybody else by their first name except for Igarashi because I cannot pronounce his first name. Uh, so we meet them, and the fourth person on the team, lo and behold, is Itsuki Aino, and. Sasaki is like completely flipped out about this. She's like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Why are you a part of my editing? And it's apparently because his, uh, his, uh, what do they call it? His, his new editor, like the top dog editor, uh, basically said that it was a, like, I guess an ad in the paper or their version of ad in the paper. And she just answered the ad and she wanted to, you know, because this is also her dream to pursue something like a Shonen Jump. Because we know that in 10 years, she's going to publish White Knight. Or at least in that, you know, other parallel timeline she is. So, uh, you know, she even spills it that she had the same idea and all the other editors are kind of like, you can't just say that. That's, you know, that's not very respectful towards his work. And things, you know, you kind of see the passion with all of these people, which is really cool, you know, to see these people working at a place like Shonen Jump and seeing how passionate that they are. Uh, but uh, basically, Itsuki says uh, that she is in it because she wants to learn from the best because she considers Sasaki the best because he was the one that put out White Knight first. So, you know, she's... She's saying, oh, I'm going to learn from you, and I'm going to become the master, basically. And uh, she even has some of her work uh, with them, and she shows it to the rest of the editing team. They love it. And, you know, uh, Itsuki is still very excited to work with Sasaki, and Sasaki is very confused about that and kind of very self-conscious considering he is stealing her work. And it's really funny because, you know, in the Slack chat that I'm in with some other friends, we have a manga chat. They're talking about how overseas in Japan, they are not taking this story lightly. They are actually very much annoyed with the fact that Sasaki is willingly going to plagiarize this story. And it's so weird because we, we were talking about it. They're okay with doing... Everything else under the sun, but when it comes to plagiarism, no. And it's not even like real plagiarism. It's an actual, like, it's a story about somebody who plagiarizes. 
Like, White Knight is not, like, this is not a real-life event that they're telling, you know? Uh, but I get the sentiment, you know, because people take these comics seriously, just how I take these mangas and, and American comics seriously. And so, you know, I, I know that if somebody younger were to read this and be, inf- and be influenced by it, I could see how that can kind of go wrong. But it's still very odd that they are so upset about the story of plagiarism. But basically, uh, because Itsuki is on the team, Sasaki feels even more encouraged to try to make this his own work and not necessarily completely plagiarize. And so uh, he goes to his house and he ends up working like all of like... I don't exactly know how many days pass, but uh, the editing team basically meets back up with him, and he has completely drawn out the manga. All the papers are on the floor. His editors are like, oh my gosh, you know, this is such good work. What's going on? And Sasaki is still very, like, unsatisfied with what he's come up with. And everybody's like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Here, how about this? We will come up with the generic backgrounds because you've basically outlined everything in this in these pages, and then you can work on your art. Because he he says Sasaki says that he wants to work more on the character designs and the style of art, and so you know they're basically gonna make it digital backgrounds and then scanning and laying out Sasaki's uh, actual character designs and formats for the actual story. And so they do this, this is 19 days until deadline. They do this in a total of 10 days, and it's ready. And then he shows it to Itsuki, and she says, yes, I think it's really great, it's perfect. Sasaki grabs it and immediately starts to rip it up. And he says it's not good enough, and then at the very last panel it says, 9 days to deadline, finish pages, 0. So, I am not sure why he keeps ripping it up. I don't know why he's unsatisfied with this. I don't know why Itsuki's idea of her thinking it's perfect means that he needs to change it. I don't know if it means that, like, this is something she would publish, which means that's probably what White Knight is in the other timeline. So, he's wanting to, like, completely change it. I don't know, and I feel like he's probably going to start messing himself up in this situation of finally getting his dream job. So, I, I'm i still very much enjoying this, this story. Uh, I want to learn more about these editors. I want to learn more about Itsuki and her strengths, and I want her to develop. I, I don't want her to be the ditzy character in this story, to be completely honest. Um, and I really... Like, I can see that Sasaki is very passionate about being a mangaka. And so I want him to, in this story of White Knight, find his art and his originality. And hopefully see what becomes of all that. But, let's go ahead and jump into... Let's go ahead and jump into... I'd say... Let's do My Hero Academia. Uh, I believe we are on uh, chapters 200 and 205.
So let's go ahead and jump into that. All right. So it's actually 196 to 200. So hopefully you guys stuck around for that correction. Sorry about that. So in 196, uh, we of course know that we are dealing with the training of class A and class B, along with Shinzo in the uh, in the middle of transferring. Excuse me, I have the burps. He's in the midst of transferring uh, from class C general studies to a hero class. So uh, he is on a uh, he's going to be the odd man out as far as joining one of class A's teams and one of class B's teams. And in this team here, uh, or in this uh, chapter 196, he's explaining how his quirk works and how his new gear to go along with his quirks uh, actually, like, I guess, work. <laughs> so... Uh, the odds are not in Class A's favor, I will say that. Uh, things do not look all that great uh, with Class A. Uh, they didn't really have time to uh, plan anything out because the explanation of Shinzo's quirk uh, took too long. So they did, in fact, uh, end up grabbing uh, both... Uh, Kirishima and oh gosh what is his name gosh I don't remember who's the one that can control animals Koda uh, uh, sorry so yeah so they end up catching Koda and Kirishima and so that leaves of course Froppy uh Freaking Shinzo and uh, Kaminari. Sorry, I am horrible at names, but we all know this already. So it it left them three to take course of action on how they were going to attack Class B. So the really cool thing about this is. Uh, Froppy decided to use some of her like poisonous goop that is on her tongue and lathers the rest of the team with it. And so when uh, Apocalypse Beast, or what he wants to be called, is uh, Javadin or Givadin. I, I have no idea how to pronounce that either. Holy crap. But uh, he sniffs them out and he's like, oh, well, we have three froppies on the way. And so they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And so with that, they are causing confusion. And Kaminari gets uh, captured and he's about to use like a special move. But... Uh, the one with the vines. I can never remember her name. Her name. Her name. Her name. Her name. Of course. Of course. Why Why else would this happen? Why would this happen? I don't remember anybody's name. And it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I do not. How do I not remember her name? She was like the biggest 
part of what Class A was worried about. And I don't remember her name. But anyway, the one with the vines. I usually have, you know what, I'm just going to do this real quick. And it's probably going to annoy so many people. But I'm going to learn these character names right now. I'm going to click this Class B right here. And her name is Ibarra. So Ibarra is the one that captures uh, Kaminari. And she uses her vines to basically block uh, his attack. And so it kind of gets to a point where there's a lot of mass confusion in this fight. And you find out that Kaminari got captured on purpose. And so that was just a distraction so that Shinzo could work his magic and start confusing everybody else with his voice manipulator. And then, uh, I keep calling her Froppy because that's what she wants to be called, but uh, Asui actually gets Ibarra out of the way and captured. And that leaves, I believe his name, gosh, these guys don't have like their their costumes on in this design. So, uh, uh, Shishida is the one, uh, Apocalypse Beast, but I don't know who, uh, the other one is. I honestly don't know because he's wearing, like, a mask and everything else. Anyway, uh, what ends up happening is, uh, Shishida is a little too overconfident in his beast mode. And is trying to get Shinzo. But Froppy comes in out of nowhere. And throws the, the Class B teammate into Shishido. And knocks them out. Which is able to get them captured. And so Class A wins. So. That's really cool. I don't expect. Because this even jumps into uh, the second fight. Between Class A and Class B. And you know before that. Uh, uh, freaking the teacher, uh, eraser head. Um, he actually talks to the class A and he's like, Hey, this is what happened, and this is why you two got captured. This is why this didn't work. You need to work on this, and blah 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 blah. Kind of just like evaluating them because that's the whole pur- purpose of the training, which is good. You know, they're they're learning how to be proper heroes, but now. We jump into a uh, the second fight, and in this second fight, we have on Class B, we have uh, Kamari, we have Kindo, we have uh, K-U-R-O-I-R-O. Kurorio. Kurorio? That's how I'm going to say it. Or, uh. Or Shihei, I think is his first name. Shihei. And then we have. Uh. Manga. Which I think is awesome. His. 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 His, uh. Quirk 
is awesome, and we'll get into that. But those four against we have uh, Momo, Taru, and then uh, Tokiyami, and who was the fourth one on their team? The fourth one on their team is. Oh yeah, it's uh, Oyama, of course, with his naval laser. But uh, it's these four, you know, four on four, and so it's an even fight on this match. And uh, Tokiyami and Shihai both favor in darkness. So Shihai's quirk, we learn, is darkness? Is that how they... Uh, no, it's it's black. He can meld with blackness. And of course, uh, Tokiyami, his quirk is the shadow, is shadow. And so, of course, they're going to go neck and neck by the end of this chapter 190... Is it 197 or 198? 198. So 199 uh, is actually a flashback. And it talks about uh, Tokiyami's, uh, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, his internship in, in all of that. Uh, I forgot what they call him. Uh, but, uh, the person who scouted Tokiyami for the internships and everything else was actually Hawks. And we know Hawks from the last arc, uh, with Endeavor and the Nomus. But we also know that Hawks is actually, you know, working with the League of Villains, but he's still a good guy. It has nothing to do with that part here in this story. But basically, Hawks doesn't look like so much as a leader. And so it kind of goes back into that story from when we first met Hawks. He's not all for the role of being number one. But here, he's actually like talking really good advice to Tokiyama or Tokiyami and you know he tells him uh, not uh, he what does he says uh, listen from one bird bud to another let yourself move freely those who can fly should uh, you keep yourself grounded uh, you know he he he's telling him like he's telling Tokiyami like you have so much potential don't lose that potential. And so at the end of 198, Tokiyami said he was going to start using his, uh, he was going to use his special technique known as the um, Black Fallen Angel. And so everybody was like, wait, what is that? What's going on? And so what it ends up being is actually really, really cool. Uh, Tokiyami, well, actually, uh, Shihai takes Oyama and is about to, like, capture him. But Tokiyami uses Dark Shadow Black Fallen Angel and uses the Dark Shadow as a floating device to fly. And this is not something you had seen before. Like, of course, when he uses Dark Shadow, Shadow comes from Tokiyami and... You know, he's able to 
kind of float and do whatever, you know, extend or whatever. So he's using, it says here, it actually has a diagram. It says, uh, Dark Shadow is always floating, so it can pick me up and carry me around. Dark Shadow feeds on darkness, wrap it up in a cape, and hands are freed up to do whatever. And uh, basically, Dark Shadow is bear-hugging Tokiyami and using his hands as somewhat of wings. So it's really cool. It's a really cool design and not something that Class B was really expecting at all. And then, of course... Momo is the one that is the strategizer. And so she uses uh, Oyama's, uh, his special technique, the naval buffet, to shift light. So that way, uh, Shii can't, you know, go anywhere. Because he feeds off the shadows and darkness, so he can't meld within anything. So he has to pop out. And before they can do anything to him... Momo literally grows a mushroom on her nose due to uh, Komori. And Komori's quirk is really cool. It is uh, mushroom. Uh, spores shoot from her body and instantaneously grow into fields of mushrooms. They spread and grow faster in humid conditions. So, she's filling up the area with all these mushrooms. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these large letters uh, coming from, of course, manga, Fukidashi. He is, uh, his quirk is comic, and it brings onomatopoeias to life. So he's throwing, like, words and all this out into, you know, the, the battlegrounds, the, the arena. And the sound effect that he threw out first was Kaslam Wham Bam. And then he throws another one that says Jime uh, Jime, which means humid. And so when he brings that into life, the humidity in the air actually amplifies, which makes the mushrooms grow even more. So really good teamwork. They're able to feed off of each other, which is really, really cool. And that first... Uh, onomatopoeia, the slam wham bam, actually separates Momo for the from the rest of the team, which then brings Kendo, who is the strategizer for Class B, confronting Momo, and so they're like, "Oh yeah, we finally, you know, cut Momo off from the rest of the team. We can take her out. It's gonna be fine." And Class, the rest of Class B and the rest of Class A are, you know, sitting on the sidelines, and they're kind of discussing everything. And, of course, the other strategizer, strategizer, blah, is Shoto, uh, Todoroki. Uh, he says to the rest of Class B, uh, if she isolated uh, Yayorozu, who is Momo, uh, she uh, she's wary of her. She might have mis She might have misread things. And she said, um, if they knew the threat of Momo, all four of them would have teamed up and crushed her right off the bat. Because rising to the challenge is Momo Yoyorozu's field of expertise. Which is something that is true. 
in every situation where Momo is involved in high stakes, Momo knows exactly what to do. She throws everything together and they're able to accomplish the goal that needs to be made. And so I'm excited. You know, that's the end of chapter 200. I'm excited to see what happens next. Uh, Momo is probably one of my favorite characters. Um, I love her quirk. Of course, her quirk is manifestation. Uh, she can just, whatever she thinks of, I believe, uh, she as long as it is a uh, an object, uh, she can create that object out of, you know, the... What is, what is she? She explained it in the anime, I, I, and I know they've explained it here in the manga, but I can't find the words for it right now. But she basically can just make items come out of her body. Uh, and it's so like she's made a cannon before. She's made simple things like gas masks. She's done all sorts of stuff. Uh, but she needs to know the ins and outs of the item and how it works in order to manifest them. So that's one of the only downsides. Like, she can see something, but if she doesn't know how it works properly, then the item itself cannot work properly. So that's why she's, you know, she's the class A, uh, uh, she's not the class president, but she's, I guess, the vice president of the class. I can't remember what they call it. But she's very, very smart, and I think it's really cool, uh, what she's able to do. So I'm excited to see what comes next in uh, the next episode that we're going to be talking about her, which would be chapters uh, 2, sorry, uh, 201 to 205. Should be. But let's go ahead and jump into My Hero Academia Vigilante because I thought, you know, manga is hilarious. I, I will say that. They have a really nice touch with comedy, but man freaking vigilante is i think they thrive off the comedy of that and it's just great i love it so much let's go ahead and jump right into that as well all right so chapters three well sorry four five and six yeah sorry so four five and six of course we already know our characters the crawler pop step and knuckle duster uh and in chapter four the big thing is that uh, Pop Step and Knuckle Duster have basically made Crawler's home into their like home base, and he's a little over overwhelmed by the whole situation. But we get a little bit of a flashback as of why he's a little overwhelmed, uh, because back when he was in college, he attempted to have so many friends, you know, and when he got this house. It's actually on top of, like, an abandoned building, and it's, like, this old little, I guess, the the one thing you could equate it to here in America would be, like, the studio apartment. So, it's super small, uh, basically just one room uh, with one corner being, like, a sink and a fridge and, you know, possibly what you would consider, like, a small kitchen and, of course, a room that's a bathroom, whatever. But to get to it, you have to go through an abandoned building. Of course, for him, because of his quirk, he could just slide up the building wall and then get up to his apartment. But because of the way he was attempting to get all of his friends to go you know, hang out at his house, everybody thought he was creepy that he was trying to make women walk through an abandoned building. So, you know, everybody thought he had alternative motives. But... 
we do learn uh, that Pop Step has another performance. She's she's doing that performance, and we see the Wolverine and the Cyclops knockoff guys again. Uh, and they talk to this younger dude about you know basically having respect for Pop Step and you know you know this other small fry dude. He's trying to like push everybody to the side so he can be the you know in the front row in this you know street performance. And so these Wolverine and and Cyclops knockoff guys, they're t- you know they're saying, hey, you know you can't just do that. You got to respect her, you know, and you know show her love no matter what. You know you don't have to be upfront and personal with it. And this kid actually brings out Trigger and stabs himself with it, injects himself, and becomes this like slimy little snake thing, and is like trying to pursue pop step and so she freaks out she starts to run actually runs right past uh kochi the crawler uh in front of his store whenever he like gets off work and so he gets into action with his his uniform or his his suit or whatever and he is uh him and knuckle duster because knuckle duster comes out of nowhere uh start to pursue this slimy dude that is chasing pop step and so uh you know they end up finding out that all this person wants is a handshake and so crawler calls pop step he's like hey uh all this kid wants is a handshake so maybe if you give him a handshake then that'll be the end of it and we'll be good to go and so she's like fine okay you know i'll give you a handshake and then she shakes his hand and then he's like oh well then i want to hug and i want to kiss and he gets like really creepy with it and then so all of a sudden this thing of flower basically uh falls from the ground uh, from from above and it's knuckle duster it makes this kid less slimy and knuckle duster just beats the crap out of him and of course, Pop Step is still all gross and slimy and stuff. So she ends up going back to Crawler's house, taking a shower, getting refreshed with everybody else. But at the end, you know, he is a little overwhelmed with them taking over his house. But he's proud to be able to see, you know, that they're becoming a team. They're becoming a family. And in Chapter 5, uh, we do get more of a side of the police. They're still investigating, you know, this random drug of trigger that's going around. And again, it's the kid that uh, that became a slime ball or whatever. Uh, he kind of gets released out on, you know, out into the world. And it's more because, you know, well, he wasn't really trying to do anything too bad like everybody else was that was on trigger. So. Uh, they, uh, the three vigilantes find out that this kid is actually, uh, out and about. So they want to find him and find out who gave him the trigger. So, you know, pop step, she's so all into herself. So she's like, Oh, I have to wear a disguise. People will know who I am, who I am. And somebody actually does end up, you know, recognizing her. And so, you know, they get a picture with her and there's this funny moment where, you know, the person who was taking the picture was like, "Oh, is that your boyfriend?" And it's it's Kochi, it's the crawler, and she's like, "No, it's 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 my assistant manager, boss, servant, dude. Yeah, uh, no, not my boyfriend." Uh, 
and they end up finding one because the the person who found out that uh that this little kid had actually been released from jail was the cyclops and wolverine knockoffs and so they got in touch with pop step you know via email or one of her fan pages or whatever and so they're trying to find them and they actually come across knuckle duster and he's like oh what are you guys doing they're like oh crap if we if he finds out that we're trying to find this dude then knuckle duster will just beat the crap out of him and we won't be able to get any any information so he's telling they're telling knuckle duster oh nothing we're just we're just hanging out it's fine it's fine you know and even knuckle duster's like oh well you can come hang out next to me i'm not gonna bite come on now and you know we see that the person that actually took the picture with pop step has like this like wasp bee thing that flies up into her eye patch because she has an eye patch and it's gross it's absolutely gross but then you find out holy crap this bee this wasp has the trigger in it it's her quirk is queen bee and so she manifests bees with this syringe type you know stinger and she lets a whole bunch of them loose and they all get into like a crowd of people and now like there's a crowd of people that are now high on trigger and becoming monsters and we actually get to see a whole lot of heroes we see uh the first one on the scene is uh air jets but then we see uh what's his name's brother Ida's brother because you know we are starting to see a little bit of a timeline here uh Ida's brother uh uh ingenuum or turbo hero ingenuum is that how you pronounce it I'm not sure sorry but we know that Ida's brother died uh during the attack of the hero slayer what was his name uh the hero slayer name was gosh what was his name what was his name what was his name uh jeez i'm trying to look it up now uh i mean he was a uh stain the hero slayer yeah that's who it was uh, Stain uh, killed Ida's brother. But then we see the rest of the massive wave of heroes that are coming to help because of this large wave of trigger, you know, users. Uh, we see Midnight. We see uh, Endeavor. We see uh, Genus. We see Eraserhead. We see Mike, who is one of the teachers, of course. Uh, a whole bunch of heroes and they uh we they take them all out and even all might comes in out of nowhere at the very end but uh knuckle duster actually sees one of these bees and shows it to the wolverine knockoff dude he's like uh there's got to be a suspicious character around here because this is no ordinary bee and he actually like crushes it when nobody's giving him information which the girl with the quirk queen bee actually feels the bee get destroyed 
And so she actually walks off with that kid, that slimeball kid. Uh, they actually find each other and they, they walk off to, together at the end of chapter 5. But chapter 6 here is like this weird... Like it opens up really oddly with uh, this group called the Three Sturm and Drag or Drange Brothers. And they have the same quirk as the Crawler, uh, Slide and Glide. And it's a three-man team. And what they do is they... One flips the skirt of a woman. One strips the panties from that said woman. And one of them grabs it and wears it. So really big perverted creeps. Uh, so, of course, Crawler comes out of nowhere. Tries to save, you know, the woman's underwear. And the women are like, oh no, it's just another perv. And they like beat the crap out of him, which is hilarious. And Knuckle Duster comes out of nowhere. Beats the crap out of everybody. And you start to see that Knuckle Duster isn't really feeling himself. And we see another appearance of this woman that has the Queen Bee quirk. And, you know, her orders are to... From somebody else. So you learn that there's even somebody even bigger on the inside that is, you know... Really making this whole trigger thing happen. And so... You know, they're kind of mad about what she did the other day with the whole, you know, group of people getting, you know, hit by trigger. They want to make sure to, you know, do it in small steps to get the data off of people and things like that. And so, you know, she says, fine, I'll just do this one person. And of course, the team comes in, they, you know, take them out. And the big thing about this whole situation is that Nelko Duster really wasn't feeling himself because he wasn't really feeling a challenge. And this new person that was on Trigger was a, like, Hulk of a villain. And his quirk was he had, like, ex explosive hits. So each hit took, like, a really big charge. And that took, you know... A bit of an open it had a little bit of an opening for knuckle duster to take him out and he ends up being pretty happy by the end because it was actually a, a challenge you know he's he's back he has some pip in his step now he's able to be able to say oh thank god you know i still have what it takes to be this vigilante but we see this uh this woman again with the uh queen bee quirk and she is meeting somebody from a dating site. And she looks very young. And this person looks like a businessman. So things are not looking great. And it may just be because she's not really living in a great lifestyle that she's like this. You know, this is my assumption. This is not, I haven't read, you know, forward or anything. But maybe it can be something that she becomes a vigilante or, you know, after she's arrested, maybe she can be reformed and become a hero. Who knows? But uh, really good story overall. Uh, really funny parts. Uh, really love the dynamic between uh, Crawler and Knuckle Duster for sure. Uh, Pop Step is full of herself, which is hilarious. But uh, And I really love the Wolverine and Cyclops knockoff guys. That they're actually going to be a part of the story. I, I really enjoy them. But let's go ahead and use this time to jump into our last book of the day. 
That being Roroni Kenshin, chapters 25, 26, and 27. All right, so Roroni Kenshin, chapters 25, 26, and 27. So in chapter 25 is the battle between Sono and this hulking of a dude. Uh, reminds me of a generic fighting game villain, to be completely honest. But Sono, uh, you know, honestly... You know the one. This this fight is brute strength against brute strength, and Sono comes out on top, but with you know not without you know a few hits, and Sono actually gets knocked out at the very end. He just falls and collapses. That is the one thing that is significant about this. You know this one chapter. Nothing too crazy. Uh, chapter twenty six and twenty seven though is the batter battle the battle uh between uh ashi and kenshin and ashi is a really really cool fighter with his uh his short sword uh compared to kenshin's long katana blade so oshi is very quick and his fighting style is, you know, the, the the fighting style with this short sword and the mix of martial arts. So he's able to attack and then fight with his fists and legs, which is not something Kenshin is necessarily uh, used to. And we get to learn a little bit about Ashi's uh, background, about how he, you know, was leading this... Uh, this army known as, of course, the uh, Oniwabanishu, and, you know, there came a time here where, uh, who is it, uh, Kunryu, of course, is the, the millionaire, you know, the very wealthy person that hired the Obawane, Obawane I can't even say it again, holy crap. The I can't I can't say it without looking at the word, the Oniwabanishu, uh, Kanryu hired them of course, uh, and you know there is apparently this like secret weapon that he has that is in need of testing and so he plans on using that to get rid of Oshi and Kinshin because he knows that Oshi just wants the he wants the battle he doesn't really want to protect uh, Kanryu. So this battle continues, and Kenshin is really, you know, on the ropes. This almost this entire fight, and you know, Kenshin is finally starting to learn a little bit more about Oshi's fighting style. He's able to, you know, counter some of it a little bit more. But Oshi brings out this thing called the Sword Dance, which is really just more about agility. And then at the last minute, the big strike. Which looks like it's taken out Kenshin. And so, of course, uh, Yahiko, you know, is standing up straight. He has his little wooden sword out. And he's like, you know, you're dead, dude, no matter what. Like, I don't care if I die as long as you go with me. And Kenshin gets up out of nowhere. He's like, you know, uh, Yahiko is very important to, you know, the dojo. And so... Uh, no way he's gonna die and neither is this one because of course he talks to himself in the third person that was the doorbell hopefully that didn't show up on the recording but I feel it will uh, but uh, you know 
Oshi tries to use the sword dance again, but of course this time Kenshin is able to uh, counter it with a sword catch. So at the last minute, Kenshin throws his sword and then catches the uh, uh, Oshi sword, excuse me, with his hands, and then pulls it away from him and then uses the uh, the the handle of the, of Oshi's sword and like thrusts it into his throat. And that is the end of chapter 27. So, uh, I think I'm going to have to catch up on the anime again and watch this just because I don't remember that fight, to be completely honest. So, I'll, I'll be uh, interested to see how all that shows up. But, I'm still enjoying it. Uh, I enjoy every single one of these mangas that I, that I read. Uh, I don't want to add too much more, to be completely honest, just because these books have a lot to go um maybe if i catch up on all the rest that are still ongoing then i can move to just one chapter each week but we'll see we will definitely see now let's go ahead and well no that's the end of it that was the end of today's episode guys uh thank you so much for choosing this podcast to listen to please press that subscribe button And if you will, please share the podcast with all of your manga and anime friends. Now, guys, I will see you guys next week.